Okay, so let me start with a tall tale on the way <laughs> to a deep truth. So it's Saturday morning, I get in my car, and I, I have a little camera, and I'm backing up, and I'm looking at my little camera while I'm backing out. And then when I look up from my camera, there's a frog as big as my fist on the hood of my car, and it's just looking at me. Thought that was kind of weird. And I thought, well, he got up there, he can get off. So I was busy. So I, I just drove away. And, I, and then he crawled up to the edge, and his little fingers went around the edge of my hood, and he, and he hung on, and he looked at me kind of as if he was saying, what are you doing to me? Like, I drove down to the end of the road, and uh, he was still hanging on, so I got out. I was going to take him off of the hood of my car when he said, if you kiss me, I will become a beautiful woman. <laughs> Which was unusual. And I just said, what did you say? And he said, well, you heard me. I said, if you kiss me, I'll become a beautiful woman. And then I just grabbed him and I said, I already have a beautiful woman, but I'm going to put you in a box because I don't have a talking frog. That really happened. <laughs> if you had it, you guys were like, I'm not going to listen to anything else that guy says. He's lying. Now, I said that as a cheap tactic to get your attention. If you had a talking frog, you have to admit, that would be valuable, wouldn't it? Well, all I want to talk to you about today really is valuable, powerfully valuable. Imagine that you had, imagine that you had um, superpowers. Kira, my granddaughter was here. You remember this, Kira? You came up to me and you said, I can freeze you. What superpowers do you have? Remember that? You said, I can freeze you. I said, I can unfreeze myself. Remember that? Superpower. The Bible actually teaches us that if we know the Lord, we have superhuman powers. It doesn't say it exactly like that. It's, it's, it, the term in the Bible is usually spiritual gifts. You have valuable spiritual gifts if you, know, if you know the Lord. These are gifts that you use in the church to do stuff that really only, only God can empower and do so. If that's true, if you really do, if that's really true, if you really do have superhuman abilities, power, spiritual gifts given to you when you become a follower of Jesus, then I'm just saying you should probably use your superpowers. You should use them. In, in the service of the Lord. And the text uh, of the Bible that we're going to be talking about today is in 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, you want to look that up, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and here's, let me set it up. Let me, backstory is written by a man named Paul, an apostle named Paul, to a younger man named Timothy, a powerful leader in the church, Timothy, whom he had appointed or had assigned to go to Ephesus to make sure that the teaching of the church was accurate and to, and to um, make sure that the people that were trying to come in to the church in Ephesus and teach error, that he would correct that error. And Paul, the guy who wrote this letter to Timothy, was in prison when he wrote it. When he writes the second letter to Timothy, Timothy is probably still in Ephesus, and he's still teaching and, and correcting and so forth. And it's kind of a volatile, dangerous time, and it's especially dark time for Paul who has a sense that he's not going to make it out of this imprisonment alive. So there's kind of a heaviness, you know, there's kind of a weight to the letter, right? 
And Paul is going to say to Timothy, you've got what it takes, Timothy. He kind of says, I sought in, this is one of my favorite parts to say, I sought first in your grandmother, Lois. Lo, that's my wife's name, so I like to say that. I sought first in your grandmother, Lois, this genuine faith. I sought in your mother, Eunice, and I see it in you. That's what we're going to read. Paul says, Timothy, you've got what it takes. You have genuine faith, and you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, and you have a job to do in the church. Okay, now, that's kind of the backstory. We're going to read through verse 14, and, and, and I want to show you out of verse 7 how you can become a really bold Christian in the use of the gifts that God has given to you. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as I did as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame that gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. That's the text. God gave us a spirit. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light to the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am pers- I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that's entrusted to you. Job of all faithful Christians to some degree, and especially pastors and elders and teachers, is to guard that which is entrusted to them, the truth of God's word. Our lives depend on it. Our churches depend on it. Our families depend on it. It's a major part of what Christian leaders should do what they need to do teach the truth and guard the truth and defend the truth and so this is what paul is saying to timothy and he says it in a beautiful way he says fan into flame the gift of god and he's implying he's he's referring to a spiritual gift and then he says which this is in verse six which is in you through the laying on of my hands we're not going to spend time teaching how you get a spiritual gift but let me just 
give you a, a reference. The scriptures teach that believers have the Holy Spirit living in them, and everybody who has the Holy Spirit indwelling them also has at least one spiritual gift. And there are a series of lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Can you remember 12, 12, 4, 4? A little mnemonic device, memory device. 12, 12, 4, 4. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4 are lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Four lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Superpowers. Superhuman abilities that God gave you through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, you get them when you get saved. But every once in a while in the Bible, you'll see, you got this because I laid my hands on you, Paul says. And in another place in the Bible, it says, by the laying on of hands of the presbytery, which is a fancy word for the elders. So now, how do you get a spiritual gift? Do you have to have Paul lay hands on you or the elders lay hands on you? You get the spiritual gifts, and this is a brief flyover because it's not really what we're teaching in depth today, but you get your spiritual gifts. They're given to each of us by the Spirit of God, spiritual abilities. Assignments in the church are given to you by those who are in authority in the church. Get it? If you're a Sunday school teacher, somebody in authority assigned that to you. I believe that's what this kind of spiritual gift is. And then you have the spiritual gift that kind of shows up when you use the spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gave you and the gift of the ministry that the church gave you. Then what happens as we read all of that, I believe that's a manifestation you know, gift. But we'll talk about that some other time. Can, can we just agree on this? The Bible here is saying that we have the privilege and the ability to serve in the local church with a powerful effect that comes from God. And that should get you more excited than like a talking frog. That should get you really excited right there. Hey, I could be used of God in this old sad broken world where so many people are needy, when so many people are sad, when so many people are sick, when so many people are depressed, where so many are confused, I can be an agent of God through the church in this world. That should be pretty, that should be oh, one of the most, that should be more exciting than football season right there. That's, that's exciting. And so he says, now I want you to go use your spiritual gift. And he says, stir up the gift that's in you and use it. Now, how many of you have discovered, like I have, that sometimes when you go to exercise your spiritual gift, you feel anxious or shy or afraid or nervous or you feel a little weird. Like I remember one time I was going to a hospital, a guy was sick in the hospital and he was dying and he was on a bed that was turning so the fluid would keep moving in his lungs. It was a very grave situation and there were all kinds of, you know, high-tech things around that, that and smart people, you know, that were dealing with him. And now here's a little me country preacher comes walking in and everybody stops and says, you have a minute or two. And then all the doctors and nurses, which all seem like really, really smart people and busy people and important people, just stop and look at me like you have a few minutes. And they're all listening to me. I'm a little intimidated, right? By the way, that, that man's name was Louis Schellenberger. He came to know the Lord that night. He went to be with the Lord the next day. Later on, I had the privilege of leading his wife, April, uh, uh, to the Lord. And she married another man, a Christian man, and was involved. Last summer, do you remember this, Hope? We were in uh, Ohio, and I went by the McDonald's that their son Wesley runs. Remember this? And we invited him to the camp, and he got his mom, and he came out to the camp where I was speaking. But I had to overcome intimidation 
Imagine that. I had to overcome my shyness. I had to cover my natural inclination to feel a little intimidated. I had, to, I had to have a bit of boldness in order to give the gospel to that guy in the last you know, few hours of his life. And imagine what you can accomplish if you are able to overcome that intimidation and exercise the spiritual gift that God gives you, the supernatural power that God gives you to do. That would be a powerful thing. So he gives a little hint in this about how to be a bold saint. And before I give them to you, let me remind you that Satan, he's bold. And sinners are bold, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're bold in their defense of what they do. They're bold in their, in their godless activities. And Satan is bold in what he does. The Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. This boldness is something that ought to be a part of this kind of like confidence in God should be a part of every Christian's life. God put me here for a purpose. I'm confident that he's gifted me to do something, and I'm going to trust him and let him do what only he can do, empowering the, you know, the activity, that the, 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 the service within the church or, or wherever I live, empowering that. Uh, William Gerhardt wrote a book called The Christian in Complete Armor. It's a 600-page book. And it is uh, written on the little passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, that we call the Christian's armor, the panoply of God. He wrote a six, is a Puritan, 600-page book on those, that handful of verses. The great English Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon said if he was marooned on a desert island with only one book besides the Bible, it would be Gurnall's The Christian in Complete Armor. And, and, and Gurnall says, oh, how uncomely a sight it is to see a bold sinner and a fearful saint it's so ugly he says to see bold sinners and fearful saints one is resolved to be wicked and a christian wavering in his holy course to see guilt put innocence to flight and hell keep the field impudently braving it with displayed banners of open profaneness to see saints hide their colors for shame or run from them in fear who should rather wrap themselves in them and die upon the place than thus betray the glorious name of God, which is called upon by them to the scorn of the uncircumcised? Those Puritans had a way with words now, didn't they? He's just saying this. It's wrong for followers of Jesus to cower in fear while those who are in bondage to Satan behave boldly in their sin. Christians, let's be bold. So how, how can I do that? Let me take you back to where I learned this truth. I'm in uh, uh, running a, a campus life club. And uh, this involves going to the local high school during an open lunch period and visiting with, with students I don't know. I'm not far out of high school myself at this point. I'm about 21 years old. I'm really intimidated. I was not a popular guy on campus in high school so when i went back to high school all those kind of insecurities would flood back in and now i'm sitting in my little blue volkswagen outside of the high school thinking i got to go in there it's my job i got to go in there and i got to make conversations with kids who are like what is this dude doing here and i've just circled the block my hands are shaking my heart is pounding I feel like when I talk, my voice will be trembling. 
I know that's hard for you to imagine. This was a couple years ago, right? I, I, I was all shy. And, and, and then I go, okay, here we go, you know, and I park my car, and I pray, God help me, and I, and I go off in that high school, and I sort of feel like I get tied in knots. Not, not long after that, I was reading this little book, a little tiny booklet by Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, called Born to Reproduce. And he referred to this passage in 2 Timothy 1, 7. God has, and here's how I memorized it. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a, of a sound mind. In the translation in which I initially memorized it, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Dawson Trotman said this. He said, when you are intimidated, when you are afraid, when you are nervous about doing what you know you ought to do, look at that fear as a red light that goes on on the dashboard of your spirit warning you about a problem that you have. And the, and the threefold problem is, are, are given there in the text. So think of this. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Or in, this, in the ESV, it, it clarifies that the spirit that we're talking about is the spirit of God. So it says, God gave us a spirit and the spirit that he gave us isn't a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control or disciplined thinking. God gives a spirit. This, I do believe, is a reference to the Holy Spirit because it, in verse 14 it says, and by the Holy Spirit, he returns to this and reminds him again, by the Holy Spirit, and he reminds him, who dwells within us. That's really huge. You're, you're a middle school boy and you are going off to school this year, and you are full of insecurity and wondering what's going to happen, can I remind you about something? You are not alone. If you're a believer, God lives in you. God lives in you. So you have this powerful, cleansing, inspiring effect bubbling up within you spiritually jesus said out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water mom can i remind you that when you are like pressed to your limit by your knucklehead husband or by your kids and you just think i'm gonna say it i'm just gonna say what i'm thinking right now can i remind you that you are possessed by the holy spirit of god and he can give you words that are christ-like and a spirit that is christ-like because you are possessed by the spirit of the living God? That's a wonderful promise to cling to. You think, I would teach a Sunday school class, but I don't think I can do it. Well, you might be a perfect candidate if you're going to have to depend on God to help you. Right? You say, well, I, I should be telling my friends, but man, they're going to think I'm, a, I'm an idiot. Well, well, they may, but do you, do you believe the Bible is true and that Without Christ, they're heading out into eternity away from God. Well, they'll never know God and will the, where, where they have ahead of them an eternity of eternal conscious torment. You, torment. If you believe that, you might warn them, right? You might be bold enough to warn them. You need, okay, so these, the, the red light goes on the dashboard of your spirit when what happens? When you're afraid, when you're intimidated, when you know you should exercise your spiritual gift. And it's a reminder of, of, of possibly of three things. One, uh, uh, that you're operating under your own power, right? I'm going to go in there and I'm going to charm these kids. Get back in your car. 
I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to be the best mom ever, and I don't need any help. Keep, stay in your room until you get this figured out, because you're going to get your lunch eaten out there, right? You're, you're operating under your own power. If you're intimidated, if you're fearful, it's a reminder to you that you think you've got to do things only God can do. It's like we have this uh, evangelistic uh, thrust, this, we call it plague sometimes, pray, love, invite, gospel conversation. We've all referred to this, pray, love, invite. You want to influence people, you pray for them. And then you, you love them. And then maybe you invite them, maybe you have a gospel conversation. It takes some, it takes some uh, courage to do that. And so imagine that you're in that, you, you, here's the, the neat thing about that. When you pray, you're asking God for something. How many of you, raise your hand if you think you can pray? Yeah, that's what I thought. Everybody except the people that don't like to vote in church. And, okay, so everybody can pray. And, okay, how many of you can love? Raise your hand if you think you can love. Raise your hand if you want to be loved. Yeah, there you go. See, see isn't that good? I, I never have gotten too much love in my entire life. Never, yeah. Uh, so you're, probably your neighbors wouldn't mind a little love and, you know, and, and then the invite, you know, thing, and then the gospel conversation, that, that gets tricky. But, but when, it, when, you get, when you have a gospel conversation, what you're doing is you're listening to people, and you're talking to people. You're listening, talking, and you're telling them the story. Somewhere in there, you tell them this little story anybody can tell. Now, get this. That's your job. That's it. Your job is to pray for people and love them and tell them that story. God's job is to miraculously enlighten them to believe. And your job to talk them into believing. It, you can't anyway. You can't talk people into things. Your job is just to tell the story. And it helps if you're loving on people so that they are listening, especially when, when you tell the story. God's job, it's like, in other words, it's like planting a seed. God's, to finish that sentence, God's job is to give life to the seed. We plant a seed, and God gives life to the seed. So we just go around telling the story graciously in the, in, the, in, the, in the context of love and good deeds and prayer. We go around telling the story. The, the Holy Spirit empowers us to remind us to pray. The Holy Spirit empowers us to know what to pray. The Holy Spirit empowers us to know how to love, what to do to love. The Holy Spirit empowers us to, to initiate a gospel you know, conversation. And the Holy Spirit empowers the Word itself in order to create life in people that he's saving. And, and that's, do you see what I'm getting at? It's not like you have to do the heavy lifting. God does the miracles, and you just are obedient uh, to him, so don't be intimidated. The red light of fear on the dashboard of your soul is telling you that maybe you are operating under your own power when you have the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm sitting in my blue VW going, I'm going in there in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go in there and charm those boys that I'm going to talk to. I'm not going to go in there and fast-talk them. I actually am going to fast-talk them, but that's the power of God isn't on the fast-talking part. It's that he does that. Remember Ted Dickerson? Came from that high school, came to know the Lord, went off to Bible college, invited all of his friends. It was kind of cool. He's on a football team, so he invited all his friends. That meant all the football team and the cheerleaders came, so the events were really big because I got out of my car, and I was afraid, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to trust you to empower this. Now, here's the second thing that's super powerful. When the light of fear goes on the dashboard of your soul, remember, that's because you're thinking about you. You're not thinking about them, right? You're not operating in love if you're afraid, because if you were really operating in love, the perfect love cast out fear would be in place, right? A simple example would be maybe uh, uh, the, ex the example of um, the, uh, 
neighbors over there that you really ought to go talk to, uh, maybe invite or connect with them in some way, share the zucchini, do what you do, you know, so that you can maybe have an influence on them for the Lord should they need that. But you're like are nervous about going over there, so you just keep looking over across the street at their house and you don't go. But then, one day, you see flames jumping out of the roof. And you can see them. They're in their dining room. They're having dinner, and they don't know their house is on fire. Then you say, well, I don't want to disturb them because they look like they're having a nice dinner. No. You go over there, and you act like a maniac, whacking up, now pounding on their door. Get out of your house. It's on fire because you see... The danger, you believe in the danger. When you really love people, you go, man, they need what I have, so I'm going to go tell them. I'm going to go love them. I'm going to go initiate a friendship with them because I believe that they need what God gave to me because that little red light on the dashboard of your spirit of fear might be telling you you're thinking more about you than you are about them. I need need a $100 bill just to borrow it so i think tim do you have a i think i i you not believe how many men in the church i ask do you have a hundred dollar bill and i think all of them had a hundred dollar bill but they didn't want their wives to know they had thank you tim you can marry my daughter now um they didn't want they didn't want them to know so okay so this i want you to remember this now i want you to remember when you go like into school or when you go out to where people are um and you have uh you want to give them your gift, you know, you want to, it's for them, it's not for you, what you have is good for them, you're connecting them to God, you're helping them along in the things of God, you're going calling in a hospital, you know, I went to a hospital last night, and the guy that was there, Chad Butler, that's been sitting over here about four weeks in a row, had a stroke this week, and he's in a hospital, and he's in kind of bad shape, I went in to see him yesterday, and he just burst into tears when I got there crying, and last thing I did, <laughs> pat his side of his face and say you're god's little boy we're praying for you and i walked away and i knew that i knew god used me for a few minutes to encourage him right we used to this is old school but we used to sing this song years ago to be used of god to sing to speak to pray to be used of god to show someone the way i long so much to feel the touch of your consuming fire and be used of god that's my desire There's nothing you're going to do in the world more fun than being used of God, more significant. So you want to imagine that, like, when you go out to help people, you've got a row of $100 bills in your pocket. If you went downtown in Jackson, and let's say you're walking up and down the road, and you go, hey, I'm a religious dude, and I want to talk about religion to you. People are going to go. (laughs) People are going to probably run from you or whatever. But... What, what if you were going downtown in Jackson and you, said, and, you're, and you just put your hand in your pocket like this because you have a roll of $100 bills and your job is just to give away $100 bills to anybody who wants one? Would you be afraid? Well, not too much. I, I'm kind of an extrovert. I would actually really enjoy that. My wife would say, come over here. Come over here and bring that money. But... Uh, but, you know, people were like, thank you, thank you. And then after a while, they're like, can I get that dude out $100? Come over here. There'd be a crowd around me, and people would be taking those $100 bills. It'd be a big party. Everybody would be having a good time. When you, when you go to exercise your spirit,
gift, when you go to do for people what God wants you to do to give people, just imagine that you're handing out $100 bills. You're doing something good for them. It helps you be bold. I've learned the older I get, the more I see, the bolder I become because I know the things of God are true. I know it and I know it. I watch when people don't follow the Lord and the sadness that follows them. And I watch when people do follow the Lord and when they go through the darkness and difficulty and all that, they don't don't go alone. They have the Lord with them. I believe I'm I'm both. I was calling on a gal named Vicki Penyard, Mark and Vicki Penyard. I needed to go call on these people. There was a lady in our church who was a realtor and she found these people because she rented them or sold them a house. She's a go-getter. Her name was Ida Taylor. She's with the Lord now. She knew what she was doing. I was just a young pastor, kind of hit and miss young pastor. Ida Taylor says, hey, I brought Vicki to church, you know, and then a couple Sunday nights later, she says, did you, go over, did you ever go see her? And, I, and it was right in the service. Do you remember this lesson? It was like, yeah, some life's embarrassing moments, you know. So I'm in a sur- little church that we're pastoring, and she says, she's a go-getter, like, pastor, did you ever go see her? And I'm like, um, <clears throat> not yet. Uh, and I'm sort of embarrassed. And then she just presses in. Do you have her address? Did I give you her address? Do you have her phone number? And I was kind of bug irritated with, with Ida. But because she did that, guess what I did on Monday? Got in my car and did what I should have done two weeks earlier. And I went out to Vicki and Mark Pinyard's house. And they had an Alaskan Malamute on the porch, which is a big dog. I'm talking big dog. So I drive up, and now I'm feeling a little bit bad because I'm two weeks late already. And we don't have cell phones back in the dark ages. It's not like you can call and say, hey, can you take your huge dog inside so it doesn't eat me? You know, you just, and, and then a little voice in my head says, it's my dad's voice. I can hear my dad's voice. And the little voice my dad says is, I've been in ministry so many years, and he tells the number, and he goes, I've never let a dog scare me off from doing what I need to do. And I'm like, you have not seen this dog. It's huge. That was a huge dog. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I just hear my dad thinking, I'm not going to leave, you know, and I'm going to go up on that porch anyway. So, and this is not a tall tale. This is the, <laughs> the truth. I will always tell you if I tell you a tall tale first. Anyway, so I go walking up on the porch, and the dog jumps up on me, like friendly, kind of like to lick my face, puts his paws on my shoulders. His face is in my face like that. And I sort of stepped away. Uh, and he stumbled off the porch and fell down on the ground and then kind of just rolled around and his tail was wagging. He came back up. Vicki and Mark came to know the Lord. And there's a big dog of fear on your porch, isn't there? Satan will make sure there is every time he knows you're about to break through and do something supernatural. By the power of God, he'll put a big scary dog of fear on your porch. But the longer you walk with the Lord, the bolder you will get. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you'll go, wait a minute, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus is the king, and that's all there is to it. And these people need to know it, and I'm going to let them know. And if they think I'm crazy, someday they won't think I'm crazy, because he is the king. And they should know him. And something about that bold. Anyway, that's the, that's the second thing. God hasn't given us the spirit that is a spirit of fear, but, he, but of power and of love. And, it's, and the third thing is the, the disciplined mind or the sound mind or the, or the self-control. And that is like, it, maybe it's like this. The red light of fear goes on the dashboard of your, you know, spirit, and you're afraid. Can I ask you a question? Is it likely that you're going to actually suffer in any way if you don't do we're not, we don't usually actually have a, seri- a, a, a dangerous dog on the porch. Usually we're just intimidated by something that isn't really ever going to hurt us. 
And I'm a 17-year-old pastor, and I remember driving my little car, same car, the same car, up to the first call, call, house I ever made a, a, a pastoral call. And I'm 17, and I'm thinking, they're not going to believe I'm a pastor. I'm 17. Like, I don't have that problem anymore. I'm old. But, but back then, when I was 17, I'm like, they're not going to believe I'm a pastor. And I'm just sitting in my car thinking, okay, here we go. I got to go pretend I'm a pastor, you know. And this is my first time. And I remember how hard it was to get out of that car and just go up there but how many times i've taken that trip and how many times it's been a blessing to them and how many more times it's been a blessing to me because i exercised my gift you have a spiritual gift and it doesn't make any sense not to exercise it have a sound mind have a disciplined mind have some self-control when my my dad used to work at a camp and he told me this story he said one time as a joke what they did is they had a plank that they put over this pit and they had snakes in the pit and they told the people they're going to have to go blindfold over the snake pit on these planks. And, they, and so then they blindfolded them. And then quietly they moved the planks over on dry ground away from the pit. And so the people were walking across on the planks, but they weren't really over a snake pit. They were on dry ground. And they were just trembling because they, they couldn't see, and they're walking across. It was kind of a thing that they did. This is the way it is most of the time. If you don't teach that Sunday school class, are you going to die? If you go teach that Sunday school class, are you going to die? Are the kids going to kill you? Probably not. Maybe, but probably not. Right? You know? If you go across to the neighbor and you, and you share the zucchini over there, or you, or you offer your lawnmower to help, are they going to shoot you? Maybe. You know, which would be a glorious way to go, you know. He got shot. He was out there trying to win his neighbors, and he got shot. We would have a major funeral for you right here. You, we, we'd probably give you a plaque or something, you know, martyred for his faith in Jackson. It's like, but it's probably not going to happen, right? Probably there's nothing to really fear, you know, th- think logically. Man, l- let me just say it this way. But let's pretend. I know this is a crazy sermon. So hopefully you you will remember it. But let's pretend. Bill Gates got saved. Maybe he is saved. Let's pretend he's not. And he got saved. Bill Gates is, did you know this? He's like really wealthy. Like super wealthy, like crazy wealthy. I guess he's pretty generous too. Imagine that he got like born again, evangelical, Baptist-like saved. And (laughs) and so, and he's going, you know what? Now what I'm going to do is this. Uh, I, for the next year, I am going to, I'm going to give a $1,000 to anyone who has a gospel conversation with their neighbor. Now, would you be a little more likely to have a gospel conversation with your neighbor if Bill Gates promised to give you $1,000 for doing it? Now, there's the silence of conviction right there, right? Because Jesus has given us unblushing promises that are greater than that if we participate in his work. Now, not all of us are, you know, used car salesman type personalities. Some of us are going to quietly gather in the nursery. We're going to go down there in the nursery and we're going to just love those little children as if they were our very own grandchildren. And we're going to sing to them and change them and give them back to mom and dad. Some are going to take all your DeWalt and your Milwaukee and all your power tools, and you're going to come to the church and say, I want to fix something for Jesus here. What can I fix? And then you're going to fix that broken window. You're going to fix that leaky plumbing. And it's going to be like, 
holy offering unto the Lord, right? And then all of God's work is going to get done in the power of the Holy Spirit. People are going to come to know the Lord. Pretty exciting thing to think about. Tell, tell you one more. Alma Johnson, she was a tremendous Christian lady. And at First Baptist Church in Fremont that I pastored, she was just a gracious, godly, older Christian woman, probably close to her 80s when we met her, probably in her early 80s when we met her. And everybody loved her. She, she sang solos and she sang them with deep meaning you knew they came out of her soul and and when she spoke on the missions committee everybody got really quiet and they just listened to her she went way back (laughs) this is incidental but she was she was a singer but i found that she also yodeled and when we did her funeral years later the last thing that happened after i preached was we put a video on of her singing and everybody cried. And then after the video of her singing was a video of her yodeling. And then everybody wailed. And they laughed at the same time. But she was something. Alma Johnson was something. She was in my office one day. And I was talking to her. I said, man, you, you're really an encouragement to a lot of people. You're like you've taught all the girls in the whole church have gone through your Sunday school class for years. How did you get going on that? She said, well, I wasn't saved and my husband got killed over in Muskegon on a loading dock. And my heart was so sad and broken, I found the Lord. And then I got remarried. And when my kids were little one day, the pastor came to me. And he said, we're going to have vacation Bible school. And there's a lot of little kids in town that need to know about the Lord. And I'm going to need somebody to head up this vacation Bible school. She said, head up? She said, there's no way I can do that. Pastor Dale Mead was his name. I can't head up the vacation Bible school. He says, I'll help you. She says, I am so scared. I can't do that. And the pastor said, you trust the Lord, he'll help you. So she did. And then for years after that, Alma Johnson ran the vacation Bible school at First Baptist Church in Fremont. Hundreds of kids heard about Jesus because she overcame that fear that she had. What would you do? For God, if you weren't afraid, it could get pretty exciting. Let's stand together while we are dismissed in, in song.